Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. It's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. Hello and welcome to a special episode of the Terrace Scottish Football Podcast. I am Craig Fowler. Now this uh, podcast has been a few weeks in the making. It uh, took me a wee bit of time to, to get everybody that I wanted to speak to track down, to do other interviews, to edit it all together. But uh, I'm pretty happy with, with what we've ended up with here. I hope you really enjoy it as well. It's obviously a, a massively important subject, uh, something really close to my heart. Anybody that knows me personally or even you know follows me on Twitter knows how much I just absolutely fucking hate racism of any form. And after the kind of latest rise of the, the Black Lives Matter movement, I, I thought it was about time that I did something on the podcast for the kind of greater good to talk to black players and to get their experiences because I think that's something we maybe don't do enough of in this country. And yeah, I think I'm really thankful to the the four guys that that came on and spoke to me. So I've done four separate interviews. They're all available on uh, patreon.com. So that's patreon.com forward slash terrace podcast. They're all on the $2 tier. So if you subscribe to that, you can listen to each and every interview from start to finish. They're all over half an hour long. I think in total there's about two hours 20 minutes worth so there's over half of stuff that the guys have said uh, and good stuff as well that uh, just I, I didn't want to make this a, a podcast where I just threw everything in it I wanted to you know kind of build a kind of a story through it and again I, I hope I've managed to achieve that but if you if you do want to hear literally everything that these guys have said then uh, make sure to head on over to Patreon to, to listen to the rest of it uh, but this obviously I had to have something going out on the, the free to air show and that's what this is exactly so the voices you'll hear coming up are in and in this order as well Christian Nadi, Marvin Bartley, Sean Clare and Kevin Harper. I'll be back at the end. In the meantime, let's get started. What's just your general thoughts on what's going on at the moment in the world with regards to George Floyd's murder, the, the protests that have come from that around to the globe, and the rise of the Black Lives Matter movement? Obviously, it's painful. It's painful. Um, it's difficult because, you know, when you don't touch you directly, uh, when I, I mean by that, then... I'm not in America, so we don't experience the hate that there, there is towards the black community. Obviously, there's racism everywhere, but they don't hide it over there. And that's when it's, it's very scary. You try to, to put yourself into the skin of an American black man, and it's terrifying, you know? You think then if you're the kid or even yourself walking the street, Every time you get stopped by the police, 
you'll be scared. And that's not the way you should feel when you, you see the police. For me now, I wouldn't go to America. Um, I, don't, I don't believe it's safe um, for, for me to go there. And that's such a sad thing to say, you know, that I wouldn't go to another country just based on the color of my skin. You know, I've also said this before, you know, there's a lot of things that I can change about myself, um, but my skin color isn't one of them. And it's not one thing that I would want to change because it's how I was born. But, you know, I definitely wouldn't go to America, whether it be for a work opportunity, you know, for a, for a holiday, you know, to see a friend. Um, and someone put to me the other day, they said, you know, if, if one of your friends was to, to, to you know, pass away out there, um, not through something to do with racism, but just pass away and they had a funeral, would you go? And, and it was weird because I sat back for probably five or ten seconds and I turned and said, no, I couldn't. And that's the, you know, the seriousness of, of, of kind of the problem um, at this moment in time. There was a comment which was almost that um, the George Floyd incident isn't a wake-up call. The alarm's been going. It's just everyone's been hitting snooze, including myself. But now we've allowed it to, to come up. And I think if you look back over time, that's kind of what's been happening. It's kind of been, there'd be a moment, everyone allows the alarm to wake them up. And then uh, it's died out a bit. Let's put it back on snooze and a racist incident will come up. We'll put that on snooze. But I think now... The alarm is loud and as loud as it may have ever been. I think a lot of people are waking up to it, which is, which is good, which is what we need. A lot of people of all races, of all backgrounds are waking up to it and really realising that it is time for change. And especially within myself, I think it's enough is enough. You know, I think what happened to George Floyd was horrific, to say the least. You know, and the only, the only positive that you can get out of it is that we've now got a movement that I think it should have happened years ago. You know, I definitely feel that there's an under-representation of black and ethnic minorities in football, and I don't think it was looking like it was going to change. Uh, but hopefully, hopefully, but unfortunately through someone's death, it's galvanised uh, a lot of people, and they're speaking out. We, I've been speaking about racism in football for about 20 years, I think. You know, since I first broke onto the scene, probably more than that. Uh, and now I'm hopeful, I'm hopeful that there could be, we can see a little bit of change. You know, probably shed a few tears watching the videos on, on Instagram and Twitter, if I'm honest, because it, you know, it, it was so heartwarming. Just to see, you know, everyone there against racism, not talking about people of colour, not talking about the white people there, everyone together. And that's another thing that people must understand. It's not black people against racism, it's non-racist against racism. So yeah, it's been it's been really really good, and as I said, it's opened up conversations that maybe my friends wouldn't have had with me before now. Um, so you know, trying to take positives out of it, there definitely are some to be had. I totally understand the, the people who um, who just now manifesting and all over the, the uh, all over America and everything, but in same time, I feel like there's so much hypocrisy around this, and it's difficult to believe then. There's so many people who are, I would not say against, but who want to fight for it. You know, there's no many people who actually be a witness of racism and actually intervene. They would say, most of, most of the people say, oh, it doesn't concern me, so <laughs> bye-bye. But now then, everybody's moving. Okay, I want to be part of it. But what did you do when you had the opportunity to do something, to say something? You never done anything. So it makes me like slowly laugh when I see all those people going like protesting and going up, putting their knee down when, no, don't, no, not to me. I don't believe you. It does feel like a seminal moment and there's going to be some real change that come out, comes out of this. But there has been kind of similar moments in the past, maybe not to, to this extent, but we have had moments before and little has changed. Do you think this moment in time is any different? I think it's, I think it's different this time. I think there's a real feeling of injustice in the, in the world in a sense. Yeah, definitely. Um, I definitely do. You know, like you said, we've had moments before when it's been kind of flash in the pan stuff. But this seems like it's it's going to you know continue. You know, there, there'll be longevity within it. Um, nobody's letting up. People are saying this is unacceptable. Until we get change at the top, nothing can change. I think the key is definitely momentum. I think that's maybe where it's fallen off in the past. Um, momentum, but not momentum by a few people because there's been people 
who have fought in the civil rights movement and stuff like that, who are still keeping it going. But it, it needs to be a mass momentum from black, white, Asian, all races fighting against this because it is an injustice. No, not really. Not really. We just passed, like, people making noise, making noise. Obviously, some government will make some changes just to make some people happy, and then it will come back to normal. The way I see things, it's going to be a time where you see a lot of changes. But really, it won't be a lot. It just, it's like you give him something to eat so people are happy. But it's not really changing anything. It's just to make people calm and everything. So it's just, I don't know. It's just, there's nothing, nothing going to change. Nothing going to change. Okay, let's look at your own experiences now. What was it like growing up as a black child? I could probably say perfect because I didn't ever see it being black and white. You know, I had my group of friends and now if I look at pictures of, of, of the colour of my friends, we were probably a, a mixed group. Um, but growing up there, was, for me, was fantastic. You know, I came across people from all walks of life, you know, rich or poor, black or white, you know, Asian, whatever else, people who love football, people who didn't love football, you know, girls, boys, we all mixed together. Um, so I had a fantastic childhood growing up. Um, you know, I didn't really encounter any racism. I say not really, I didn't encounter any racism. Um, yeah, so so for me, it was, it was fine. Probably the first bit of racism that I did face um, was probably when I was about 18 and I just started going out. Um, I went to go into a nightclub. Me and uh, three other black guys went to go out and meet our group of friends who were already in there. You know, if you know me, I'm normally late. So for this podcast, I was, I was actually late. So that, that's happened on that night. So some of my mates waited for me um, and I said to Tony, I wants to go in. We went to go in and the bouncer said, oh, no, no, no groups tonight, lads. And it was so funny because there was, I think there was like maybe 12 or 13 of us out because it was a party. Well, we were having like a celebration within the club. So the rest had gone in. So, you know, eight or nine lads have already gone in. But it was only the, us four who were coming in after because they had waited for me. And then suddenly there was no groups allowed in. So, yeah, now you say it probably, yeah, at 18, I, I encountered my first bit of, you know, probably being judged um, based on how I looked. From the beginning, we are programmed. We have been taught, I would say then this, this world is unfair. It's unfair towards black people. And we need to, we know, and people will always say, there's always people say, oh, no, it's not true. Uh, don't, don't speak like this. Don't say that. That's not the way it is. Yes, because you don't know. But we've been told since we're young, if you want to make it in life, you need to be two times, three times, four times better than the white guy. Because if you're not, they won't pick you before him. If you want to be a doctor, you need to be the best doctor because if the, the, one, the one next to you is average, they will take this average guy. You can't be only good, you have to be the best. And that's, for, and that's what we, we've been taught since we're kids. And, you know, there's things and people don't, don't, don't see, but, you know, and you can ask any black guy, the first thing that the black guy do when he goes somewhere, he check if there's another black guy. Just to see then if he's alone or if someone, even if he's with his friends, you know, and all of them are black, are white, he's always going to check if there's another black guy there just to see, okay, I'm not on my own. That's what we do. Because it's not that we are, we love a community or everything. We are not like this. That's actually the opposite. But, we feel secure when we are not alone because we know that you can go crazy at any point and the first person then you're going to blame is the black guy. It was, uh, it was interesting. I was known as the wee black guy for possum. Uh, and then when I made my hips debut, I was known as the wee black guy who plays for hips. So the connotation of black was there constantly. You know, I, I remember when I, I moved to possum Park initially, you know, when I was about three or four, you know, the first... First person I met called me a black so-and-so. So I was subject to racism through my whole life, you know, which people think of racism as just purely people calling you names. But it's also if you're standing, say, at a cash machine and someone's in front of you, a woman's in front of you, she turns around and sees that you're black and pulls her bag in a little bit tighter, you know, that's uh, subconscious racism. People don't, people don't get that so 
there's many different types of racism, and that's just some of the that's just a couple of them. But I think most people look at it as people calling you names, you know. So for me, growing up in growing up in Boswell Park was fantastic. You know, it was fantastic in the sense of you know it was a rough rough housing scheme, really really rough housing scheme, drug capital of Europe at the time at times. And but everybody was there. I didn't I didn't get really racially abused as as often there as I did when I was maybe in town or playing football. Yeah, I was actually going to ask you about that. What was your experiences of uh, racism playing football while you were you know still a child, still at school? Yeah, when I was when I was it was horrendous. It was horrendous. I think you know I was one of the better players in my team, and you know the abuse that I certainly got from parents at the side of the pitch was uncomprehensible. You know, if you think about, if you, if I was to think about what I went through then, and I was thinking about my son growing up or my kids growing up, my, my girls growing up and them getting even at 1% of the abuse that I got, I would be horrified. You know, and that was just, that was the norm. Every single, every single Saturday or Sunday that I played for my club team, I knew that I was going to get a barrage of racial abuse from from parents and and people at the side of the pitch. As you grow up and as you get into th- football, that's where a little bit more of the segregation comes into it. Um, when you start playing for academy teams or your school teams, the the white boys stay with the white boys a little bit more, and the black boys stay with the black boys a little bit more. Especially in in teams where where it's not like school, where you don't see them all the time. Um, and, and sometimes, occasionally, you might have. When I was growing up, you'd have games whites versus blacks, which is ridiculous really at the time no one thought about it but um it happened and uh this this is stuff that is almost flies under the radar of, of racism it's it's like that feeds into the narrative um for either side um so it is something that should be eradicated even if it is only just a bit of a, a laugh with the boys or it's just a bit of teams in a in a football training session. It it needs to be eradicated because it definitely feeds into the narrative. So, how many times have you been targeted for racial abuse uh, as a professional? Off the top of my head, I couldn't I couldn't tell you, but numerous times, numerous times from both players and fans. You know, and that's the the, the fans. You sort of get your head round. You don't necessarily accept it. You don't accept it. You know, that's the way some fans are. But players, I think it's a disgrace. Players saying that there's no need to outline your profession just the same as they are. And you're getting, they're getting abuse just because you're a different colour than them. Your skin's colour is different. You know, at the end of the day, I'm, I'm a proud black man. You know, I've got no issue with, with my skin colour, but I don't deserve, and no one deserves, the abuse that you get just because of the colour of your skin. The first time being a professional footballer, I was at Bournemouth. Me and a small group of other players went to go get some food. Uh, went into a local pizza hut that was at the end of my road where I just just brought a house. Everything was normal. Went in there, got seated by by a waiter, and then the manager came over, took our order, all fine, and then he asked us to pay before before the food was made. So, you know, I'm quite outspoken. So I was like, well, what, why are we paying before the food's made? He said, well, because I don't recognise you guys. I don't know where you're from. So I was like, okay. Um, so I said, you know, is that is that kind of you know the policy within this restaurant? That doesn't matter. He's like, it doesn't matter what the policy is. We just want you to pay. So I got up. There was a group of of lads. Again, probably three times as many of them as there was of of, of my group. I asked them the same question: Did you have to pay before you had your food uh, made? No, no, no. We didn't have to pay. Okay, that's fine. So the difference between the two groups were that. You know, there was, I think, three three black guys and a couple of white guys within my group. The other group was was all white guys. Um, so I said to them, well, you know, we're not paying. You know, they haven't paid before they've eaten, so we're not doing it. So can you just make our food, please? So what he actually did, and that was that was the conversation. He then walked off and then was like, oh, okay, he's going to make our food and bring it back. He actually went to wherever the panic button was set and hit the panic button. So... We're, we're obviously sitting there and we're none the wiser until we see all the police outside. So it was literally like, you know, like a scene from the bill, like the start of the bill used to be. They're all their riot vans, you know, police cars, sirens are going off. And we're like, wow, what's going on? Like, almost like, is something going on next door? And no, they come charging in. So they come charging in. The manager meets them at the front door. And then still at that point, I'm not thinking they're coming for us. Obviously nothing's happened. 
So you're speaking to them, they walk across. So it so happened was a couple of the police officers were Bournemouth fans. So they're like, oh, okay, like that's oh, what's what's happening? And we're like, I'm not just for some food, like what do you what do you mean what's happening? And so well he's hit the button which lets us know as if you know the place is being robbed basically. So we're like, no. <laughs> I explained to the police the story. It was a full restaurant. So at this point, it's obviously quite embarrassing for us. So we're thinking, what the hell's going on? So the policeman's gone and spoke to the other tables. And then, you know what, fair play to every single person. They just told the truth. You know, the boys hadn't done anything. They just walked in, you know, and we don't know what's happened after that, but they've just walked in. There's been no shouting. There's been no arguing. They've just been sat down. You know, and Pizza Hut kind of did the right thing after that. You know, they made a donation to, to a charity. You know, they, they apologised. Um, they said that the, the manager would be moved and retrained. And, and the thing about that, you know, the manager then came over after and all this kind of died down and the police were talking and said, right, they were going to go. He's like, oh, sorry, I didn't know you paid for, for Bournemouth. And I said, it doesn't matter what my job is. You know, it doesn't matter what I do. You judge me but, and us based on the colour of our skin. Nothing else. And now we're footballers. You want to say, oh, you can have the meal for free and, you know, welcome in at any time. You know, I, I would never give you my money. I don't want anything free from you. You know, I work to pay for what I want. So I came in for some food and you've done that. And as you can imagine, he was apologetic once he realised that we were just, you know, group professionals. But that, that, that to me, you know, that, that's, that's racism. You know, that, that's, that's, that's the long and short of it. In terms of playing, um, obviously my first encounter was, was up here, playing in the Edinburgh Derby, uh, Easter Road. Uh, I remember coming off the pitch as normal um, and then went on Twitter and I saw... Um, somebody called me I can't even remember the, the wording of it and I read it and kind of like looked and it didn't really register so I read it a couple of more times and I was like wow like what, what's going on here kind of thing and um, yeah you know t- to read it, it it's hard but obviously I'm not hearing somebody say it I'm just reading you know words off the screen and, and it's, it's diabolical it's disgraceful and you know I, I think Somebody had messaged him back. I think I messaged him back or I quoted the tweet and said, oh, there was a word there that was kind of like jambo. And I was like, you know, I ignored all the racism on purpose and said, oh, you know, I was almost offended when I thought you called me a jambo um, and left it at that. But don't get me wrong, that hurt me, you know, but I was never going to show the world at this point that I was hurt by this guy's comments. Um, But it it definitely, definitely hurt. Um, The second time was at Tynecastle. Um, I was warming up again. Obviously, it was a uh, Edinburgh derby, and at this point, you know, somebody zoomed in on me and shouted uh, a bunch of uh, race, racial abuse at me. Again, you know, at the time, didn't hear anything. Uh, I think it, it might even have been the next day um, that somebody had sent it to me. This is what happened. At first, it came through on social media. It was mute. So I, I was like, I saw the caption that said "black cunt," um, and I thought, oh, here we go. You know, someone's called me a black cunt. When I actually heard the video. I couldn't describe to you how that made me feel because that was the worst racism that I've ever heard directed at somebody. And, and that time there, that, that, that actually broke me because I was thinking, for what reason does this guy think this is acceptable? You know, what has made him go to a football match? And they wanted that pairs on both teams. But not only that, he's got into a stadium surrounded by people and thought it was okay to say these things to me and caption it as that. Now, what makes him think that's acceptable? And you know what? I've always said the same thing about this. If me as a player, if I would have heard that whilst warming up, I, I can't guarantee to you or to anybody else that I wouldn't have been in the crowd. Because that, that, the anger that put in me and, and, and the hurt at the same time, you know, I, I cried from that one because I was thinking, this is on social media. You know, my family are seeing this, you know, Everyone begins to worry about me, like, and it's just one of those things. It just sets us back so many years, and it was it, it was absolutely shocking. And you know, to go through the, the 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 stages of it, the police were absolutely magnificent. You know, absolutely magnificent. I don't have a bad word to say about them from start to finish. Genuinely, the Scottish police were fantastic. You know, which, uh, as I said, you know, it was absolutely brilliant. So much so that I emailed them and, and sent them a tweet just thanking them because they did everything they could. But to see that young man walk from court when he's video recorded himself racially abusing me, he's got the Snapchat account linked to his Twitter, linked to his Facebook, and him to walk out of court and the judge to say that it's not proven to me means that 
it's not seen as a serious enough problem in this country. It's impossible. Everything linked back to him. It was his voice. People who knew him said it was him. You know, when it was repaid on the screen within the court, his mum walks out. because she, Obviously, she's disgusted by it. She's disgusted by it. And he sits there. His name's Arts. He doesn't want to answer his name because he doesn't want the judge to hear his voice. And for the judge to turn around, the sheriff to turn around and say, oh, well, it could have been... Because his act, cause he doesn't have a stutter or speak... In, in, in a different way, it could have been anyone from, from Edinburgh, anyway, anyone from you know, the area he's brought up in. And that for me is absolutely disgusting because, you know, it, you could basically come across, I can walk down the street and call myself abusing somebody. And I'll tell you what, if I'm going up in front of that sheriff, he, he's going to find me guilty of exactly the same thing. There's no doubt about it. And that's the first time I've probably said that because it's frustrating, but that, that, that's the truth. That's the truth. You know, there's no, sometimes there's no evidence needed to, you know, I've been through my own problems, something that didn't happen, categorically didn't happen. And, and the sheriff sits there and says to me, oh, you know, the call was meant to be made when I was training. I was within the football ground. And he says to me, you're 30 years of age or whatever I was. I don't believe you're not allowed your phone within there. Everyone knows under Neil Lennon, you're not allowed your phones within the training ground, let alone, oh, the whole changing room's goading them on. I was doing my prehab, but that doesn't matter. Because they see me, they see probably a footballer, they see a black man up from England and think, oh, do you know what? He, he probably has got that. He probably has got that sort of attitude about him. And I've been absolutely hammered about this. From, from that day, I've been hammered on social media, playing football, whatever else. And the worst thing about it, if I'd done this, I'd understand it. But I haven't done it. You know, I didn't do it. And th I'm telling you now, after seeing the other side of it and this boy walking away after recording it, but yet somebody can say, oh, I heard an accent that wasn't, it wasn't even an English accent. I heard an accent that wasn't Scottish, and that they're, they're pinpointing it to me. It just just kind of sums it up for me, and it's so disappointing. Have you ever felt any sort of mistreatment by teammates or coaches, even if it's just in a sense of maybe some some you know throwaway comment that has uh, been classed as banter, but has maybe crossed the line? There's few players who think it's a banter. It's banter for them, so they will say something, and you say, "Look, now I'm not playing. It was fun. Next time." You, you will regret it. And then that stopped. But, you know, they like to talk about this, and which is weird, you know? They don't understand. If I was talking about white men stuff, white men, I'm sure they would get pissed off. But they don't understand. And having constantly someone joke about, I don't even know what the joke is, you know? And, you know, there's always idiots around who laugh. And, you know, you, you, you smile with them, but you deep inside, like myself, I was like, man, you need to stop because I'm going to get jailed today because of what you're doing. So a few times I, I took some players on the side and said, look, you need to stop because I'm toward the end of my career. You're at the beginning of your career. I can't do anything there, but I can break your legs on the pitch. So you need to calm down. And that's it. <laughs> I was done. I know I shouldn't say that, but you know, sometimes it's just, it's just too much. Well, I've heard a player doing monkey noises. Um... You know, and, and I've stood up to that. The kind of I don't I don't take racism as banter. You know, I've, I've had another on a Christmas night out. Um, somebody had one, one too many drinks and wanted to start making uh, racial comments. And again, you know, I don't accept this sort of thing. I think for me mainly, it's been um, occasional kind of misconceptions or stereotypes. Um, there's been times where I've been called um, cocky or or uh, arrogant just because I was self-confident on the ball and it's kind of like I've seen players who have done exactly the same as me who are, who are white and they've been called confident or, or leaders. Do you know what I mean? So it's kind of stereotypes that have been ingrained in people's mind from years and years and years ago. Earlier you talked about uh, the fact that you feel some reassurance uh, as a black man if, if you're going somewhere and you know that another black person is going to be there. How does it feel then when you are, and I imagine you'd experience this at some point, at least in Scotland, when you are the only black player in the team, or maybe even only the black player at the club, how does it feel to you when you're such a visible minority? You feel it, you tell me, trust me, I know, I feel it, I feel it. Um, when I was young, it was hard, now I don't care, because, you know, I would say my name is known by the players, so they will come and talk to me and be nice. But I know how it is when you're new, you 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 don't really speak English, and then start people start to make fun of you because you're black, and then you you talk about your accent or anything. Yeah, 
I know some player who came to me because of this and we spoke about it. But, you know, and because sometimes they're scared to, to say something, but I'm not scared to say anything. If a player starts to cross the line, I will talk to him straight away. But yeah, I've got a few players. Uh, when you, you, you feel it, when you go to a club and you're the only black guy. To, anyway, <laughs> when you know, as a black man, I know that and I'm sure every black man the same. When you want to buy a team, the first thing that you do is Google the team and check if there's any black guys in the team. And if there is any, he says no, and you say, oh, okay. I need to be ready. Because that's always like this. Because the first thing, unfortunately, and maybe I shouldn't say the first thing some player will do is they will check you in the bath, in a, in the shower. You know why? So it's yeah. the first thing that they will do, check in the shower. And if you, like me, I don't shower naked, they will, they will try to see me naked. They will do anything to see me naked. And that's the first thing because I'm, it's not, it's, you know, it's nothing. At some point, it's getting too much, man. Why, why are you doing? Why do you want to see that? That's weird. And make sometimes make feel uncomfortable. I thought it was interesting you said there about uh, the kind of <clears throat> labels that get put on black players because I think one that I, I've kind of noticed in recent years is uh, black centre halves. Uh, mm-hmm. Do you seem to get labelled uh, eccentric uh, a lot more mm-hmm. than uh, their kind of counterparts? And yeah, it's just something about this language that we've kind of. Even people who you wouldn't, people kind of use these kind of language subconsciously. You wouldn't even think that they'd be racist at all, but just something that seems to have become ingrained in kind of football in Britain. And it is a bizarre one because one hundred percent, one hundred percent, like you said, it's become ingrained. It's become second nature. The the way where people say black goalkeepers are, uh, are untrustworthy or um, all black players are fast. You know what I mean? It's 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 a stereotype that has been created from years, years, years ago and it's become second nature um, to the extent where black people use it. I've heard black people say black goalkeepers are untrustworthy or reckless, do you know what I mean? And it, it just becomes second nature. But it's um, it's something that that also forces a lot of black people into behaving that way because they feel like that's their only avenue. I know a lot of very technical, good black players who I grew up with who fed into the stereotype of skillful and fast because they thought that was their only route but they were actually better technical players they could pass the ball they could move the ball they could they could there was people who were tacklers but they wanted to become strikers because they felt like that was their only avenue and we need to really break that down and the main thing is equality do you know what I mean everyone gets an open chance if there's a black centre mid and a white centre mid whoever is the better centre mid gets the position not because one's more trustworthy and not because one is feeding into a stereotype it just needs. We just need the equality and the balance, and that will. That is the main goal, and it's not going to be a month or a year until we get that. But it's a fight that we need to fight until we do get. It. Obviously, football can do a lot for kind of uh, breaking down boundaries and stuff. Mm-hmm. But can football also fuel racism as well? Definitely, like we were saying before, there's there's so many emotions running through people while whilst they're playing a football game, whilst they're watching a football game. Unfortunately, it's been a um, a go to. Um, for for a lot of people, which is if you want to slag someone off, if you want to get under their skin, you use racism because you know it's something that will hit home. Um, so that's that's one way of it. There's also a lot of stereotypes which we spoke about, um, which feed into it because they're second nature, because they've been ingrained into football, into into fans, into players, into coaches, and it's something that just allows to roll and roll and roll and it almost snowballs that. It, it becomes harder to break down and it's it's going to be tough to break down now, but the sooner we can break it down, the easier it will be rather than leaving it for another 5, 10, 15, 20 years and it becomes even more ingrained in, in more in generations. Um, but yeah, I think I think football, because it's such an emotional game, so there's so many rivalries, so many emotions, it, it can fuel into it. Um, unfortunately, it it's kind of like anything it's like an argument if you go into an argument some people say things that they don't mean some people say things that they mean um so yeah it's a tough one uh, i think football is so so big in the whole world if you can really affect racism in football it, it will it will kind of make an example of things and will hopefully have a domino effect on a lot of other sectors of life i think society fuels racism i think that's the issue and that's part Football's part of society. Uh, 
I think football, we don't tend to approach racism the right way. You know, I've said this before in the sense of if someone gets caught racially abusing a player, they get banned for life from, a ground, from every ground in Scotland. How do you police that? You know, it's, it's an excuse. It's just the club's coming out and saying, oh, we're doing something about it. But for me, if it was, if it was me, for instance, I could get my mate to get me a ticket and walk into the ground, no problem at all. You know, so for me, the, the sanctions on it aren't, aren't tough enough. They aren't measured. They aren't, uh, as I say, they're not looked, looked at because it's, it's too easy just to say, oh, there's a slap in a wrist, you're banned from every, every ground in the country, but we can't place it so you can get into any ground. What can the football authorities do to, I mean, I don't know if you're ever going to eradicate it, but to, at least to try and stamp racism out of the game? Bigger sanctions is a massive one. I think um, being ready to to spot people who are being racist or really follow up allegations and giving people life bans or even to the extent of banning teams from competitions, I think the sanctions really need to be strong to show the message that this is not this is not it. This is not going to be tolerated. And um, you may you may you may uh, be if someone's being racist you may not only affect yourself and not be able to come to the game, you may affect your whole club. And that affects however many people. Imagine imagine that happened at a club like Real Madrid or something like that. You've got millions and millions of people who can't watch their team play in, for example, the Champions League. It's, it's going to send a really strong message. I think first, the fans should be the police. So the fans should be the police, you know. Report the guy. Then after the, the, club, have, the club have to take the disposition to not take this player back into the stadium or cancel his membership. So first the fans should do something, then the club should do something. And if you go bigger than this, now you can call the, the authority. But first the fans, you know, I wouldn't like to be sit next to someone who are, say, anti-Semitic things. Anti- anti-Semitic things, I wouldn't be a guy who, next to a guy who, who, who are racist toward Asian or a black guy towards white or anything, I will say something because I can't, keep, I can't hold it, but I can't keep it to myself. So I will have to say something. But if you're comfortable enough to be sitting next to a guy who says stuff like that, he says a lot about you. There has to be bigger consequences for it. You know, if, if you're caught racially abusing a player or anyone, you know, in a football stadium, and I'm not just talking about football here, there's got to be bigger sanctions because what's the difference between you racial, racially abusing someone in a football stadium to out in the street? It's the same thing. So it should come with the same the same caution. Until we do that, until we do it and we make it tougher for people, then people are just going to keep doing it. And uh, we've obviously got campaigns uh, to, to try and, and help these uh, sort of things in Britain. So we've got, you know, Kick It Out in England and uh, Show Racism Red Card, which extends to Scotland as well. What do you... So, from sure racism, the red card, we have it in these games. Like, before matches, it happens, what, two or three times a season where the players stand out, show a, a red card, and uh, you get the voice over the tannoy. Does, in your opinion, is this effective at all? Is What, what do you feel when, when you're doing it before a match? Um, you know, I'd never say that anything is not helpful. You know, no matter what somebody's doing, whether it's having a conversation with one other person about race, it, it's helpful. You know, so people who, who do show races in the red card deserve a lot of credit. Um, and, and, you know, as professional footballers, we thank them for doing that. Um, you know, they're probably limited to what they can do in terms of, of their finances and, and whatever else. But what they do try and do, you know, it raises awareness. You know, it might be a little kid coming for the first time to a game and they're seeing, you know, players holding red cards and these T-shirts. And they say to their parent, well, what's this about? And their parent explains it to them. So it's just about starting conversations. You know, no, no one person or no single organisation is going to be able to stop racism by themselves. But all, if we all come together and people do their little parts and open up conversations and, and have conversations like this, just open ones, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's definitely going in the right way. Personally, when they give me this, I just say, man, let's just start the game. I don't have time for this. What, what are you doing? Should let red, should red card now? No, sure. What? People see you sit like two seconds before a game, and no, it's, it's not. That won't change anything. That won't change. Like there's players who show this, and then during the game, the guy gonna come and say, "What are you doing here, black man? 
go back in your country. And it was the one holding, so, nah, come on. It's often said that if a, a black player hears racial abuse, that uh, he or she should walk off the park. What's your reaction to that? Yeah, well, 100% walk. Um, again, you know, nothing's going to be done by the, the authorities until it hits them in the pocket. How do you get them in the pocket? If the game's live on TV, somebody gets racially abused, team, both teams walk off the pitch or whatever, the, the player or the team walk off the pitch. They show United in doing so. Then there's a problem. Then, then whether whatever broadcaster it is, then say, listen, this now has to stop because it's it's affecting them in their pocket. You know, this moment in time, yeah, we want it to stop. Yeah, it's quite, quite blasé about it. But as soon as the game stops, if, you know what it's like. If we all tune in to watch a game, you know, this on the television, something shouted after 12 minutes, and then everyone walks off, and that's the end of the broadcast. Then you know something's going to be done. Then you know whatever league it is. They're going to come down on it. You know, FIFA are going to come down on it. UEFA are going to come down on it. The broadcasters are going to demand something's done about it. And then, and then we get closer to where we want to get to, which is no racism in, in football and society. Um, but until that happens, then, you know, as I said, people still feel they can get away with it. If I hear racism on the pitch, then, I, then, I, then I'll walk, for sure. I have, I have a mixed reaction to that. Myself, as a, as a player, would never want to walk off the park because I think that that means that they've won. You know, I think if the referee stops the game and takes him off the off the pitch, then that's different. That's his choice. But for me, I think we have to finish the game, play the game. Then, but if you reported to the referee, then it's up to the referee because he's in charge of the game to do what he feels. If he wants to take, if he should take him off, then that's right. That's correct. But if it's like chanting, like say, as we saw and held over in Italy, I think everyone should be off the off the pitch. I think the game should be cancelled and the, the team, there should be sanctions against the team's fans, no matter, no matter what. And, and tough, tough sanctions, not like the sanctions that UEFA gave the Italian teams, which is just a slap in the wrist and say, don't do it again. He shouldn't be alone. His full team should come off the park, or even that both teams should come off the park, not only the player who's been targeted. And that's when you see the mentality change. Because right now, okay, it's not affecting me, man. And then when if you walk out, people say, no, stay, we need you. Man, you don't know what I'm feeling right now. Being in my skin, try to see how it is. You don't understand what I'm feeling when I'm playing. And all I hear is animals' noise or throwing me bananas or being insulted just because of my skin. You don't know how I feel. So if I say I'm walking out of because it hurts me, I'm walking off the beat because it hurts me. And if you can't understand that, leave me alone. But you should be walking off the pitch with me because you know how it is to be hurt or to, to be judged for, for, for no reason, just because I'm black. Is there anything else you'd like to see white players do to support their teammates other than, than what you've just mentioned? There's no much, you know. You can't, like, <laughs> make someone think differently. You can't, they can't do that. You know, all they need to do is to support the player who actually targeted by racism. And the only way to support the player is during the game, is to walk off the game with him, walk off the pitch with him. That's the only thing they can do. And, you know, and by doing that, the other fans who are around, the, the actually fans who are racist, they will start to get pissed off because they pay to come watch to come watch a game. And because of the one who's been racist, they can't watch the game. And that's one thing going to change also, you know. You know, I would hope that if I'm racially abused on the pitch, my teammates would walk off with me whether they're black or white. Um, I, I don't know. It's not, it's not on any single race to, to stop this. You know, we all have to stop this. Uh, we all have to educate ourselves. We all have to know more. I admitted at the start of this show, I'm a young black man who's on the receiving end of this racial abuse. I didn't know enough. So how can I then look at my teammate and say, you know, well, you should know more. You know, as I said, these conversations have been brilliant. And what's happened recently, you know, the conversations I've had with, I said, teammates and, and other people, you know, and this thing called white privilege has been spoken about. And a lot of people might not have understood this before. But, you know, now when I'm saying, well, listen, I won't go to America because I'm black, they're thinking like, what the hell? Or I explain that I can't get a nightclub because, you know, the colour of my skin. Or I have to pay for my food before getting it because of the colour of my skin. You know, these people haven't encountered these things. So until I tell them, they don't know about it. So I can't expect more from them unless I'm doing more. You know, I have to be a leader of what I'm doing. And then I can ask people to follow me. What do you think is the reason for the, the lack of opportunities for black uh, and ethnic coaches and managers? 
I think there's a little bit of institutional racism. I think there's, you know, uh, subconscious racism as well. You know, I think there's if you if you look at if you look at the stats and <clears throat> excuse me in the whole of Scotland, you know, there's 120 26 jobs up for grabs. Say, you know, that's that's a manager, an assistant manager, and a coach, and there's one black manager, and all all of the jobs, and the I which is probably which is about 0.8% of the positions. But if you look at black players, there's probably around about 10 to 12%. So there's a real, real, real big difference. But yet, the Scotland national team, out of three positions, a, a, a head coach, an assistant, and a coach, first and a coach, there's two black managers, black coaches. So for me, why is that not happening in Scottish football? But if you look at it even further afield in England, you look at, there's probably about 30% of black and ethnic players in England, and there's only, I think there's only maybe five managers, which equates to probably 1.2%, something like that, so the disparity is very, very huge, it's huge, and, and for me, I think, how do you how do you get black and ethnic people into jobs? You don't give them jobs just because they're black and ethnic, that's, that's a fact for me. You have to you have to be there has to be a level playing field where you get interviewed. And at the end of the day, if you're interviewed and you're the best person for the job, then you deserve that. You deserve that job. Because I know certainly that when my C V went into the numerous clubs that I applied for before I got the Albion Rovers job, I know that there was some that I wasn't the best candidate for. I understand that by who the clubs picked, but I know that there was other ones that I was the best candidate. If you're purely looking at CV, based on CV, then I know that I was the best candidate and didn't even get an interview for it. How do you feel whenever you, you hear or see a discussion on racism in football or on either the, the TV or the radio and it's an all-white panel? <laughs> make me laugh. They make me laugh because they want to tell you how a black man feels. Oh, come on, man. Stop it. You don't know how I feel. You know, and they were, and then they want to judge you to tell to they want to judge to say you shouldn't feel like that. It doesn't make any sense. It actually doesn't make any sense. And 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 unfortunately, there's so many people who watch TV and and think because those people been on TV for a few years, they are experts on how people feel, and they will believe or swallow every single word they say. And no, it's not true. It's impossible. It's ridiculous because they don't know. They don't. They don't know the ins and outs of it. They don't know how it feels. They can only look at it from their perspective. They've not lived it. If you haven't lived it, then how can you be qualified to say this is how this is what happens when you when someone gets racially abused? You know, it's like my wife had never, never ever entertained racism until she came, until we got together. And she's like, Kevin, I didn't know that this existed every single day. Every single day you go through that. And she's white. So at the end of the day, how can a white person understand what a black person goes through every single day? They don't. It's a bit of a confusing one. It's almost like um, having a panel of hockey players analysing football. It just doesn't really... Doesn't really make sense. People would be like, "Well, what's going on here?" And, Some of them would probably uh, do just as well a job. Oh, yeah, I, I don't <laughs> doubt it. But um, it's kind of like for me, it has to be. It shouldn't just be all black people either. It needs to be a mixture because that's where you have the real conversations. That's where you make real change. Um, white people might not be able to specifically relate to the black person talking, and black people might not be able to specifically relate to the white person. That's where you have the joint. You have the joint discussion the joint conversation about maybe the black person's experiences maybe the white person's experiences whether they've seen it happen whether they've done it themselves and that's where you have real change so i think there definitely needs to be a mixture of of backgrounds on when you're talking about situations like that okay my final question is that if there's anybody listening to this who is still a bit skeptical about this whole thing doesn't uh, thinks you know the slogan should be all lives matter uh, doesn't think there's a, a thing as white privilege what would you say to those kind of skeptics i think they just have to go back and look at history and look at the way things are just now you know i was what i saw on twitter uh, one of the politicians saying that 
in the head of all the councils. There's no black people, there's no black head teachers in, in Scotland. You know, or play, PC player in power, in powerful positions, there's no black people. You know, so for me, that's a real disappointing thing because that just shows you that there's a cultural imbalance. You know, and, but I reiterate that black people do not deserve top jobs because of their colour. And I think that's the biggest issue that most people think. Most people think that black people are saying, we deserve that job because of our colour. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that I deserve a football job because of my colour. I deserve a football job because I am. I went for an interview. The board or the managing director believe through that interview that I am the best person for that job. But if I don't have an equal opportunity to even attempt to get that interview, how am I? How can I show that I'm the best person for that job? It's impossible. So for me, I think we just have to drive forward with it. You know, look, people have to look at the whole the whole spectrum of it, not just one part of it. And I think that's the biggest thing that people are missing. They're not looking at the whole part of it. They just see it's oh, it's black against white. It's not black against white. It's just equal opportunity. If you I always say, if they, like I said earlier, if you flip it and you look at it and go, it's all black people in Scotland and very a minority of white people, they would think the exact same. They wouldn't be saying, I don't genuinely believe that they would be saying that, oh, it's the best person for the job. They would be saying exactly what I'm saying. Yes, all lives do matter. That's what you're trying to say. All lives matter the same. You know, I, I saw something on, on Twitter, I think it was, and someone's house is on fire and said, oh, this I won't explain about the Black Lives Matter, you know. Someone's got a hose on, on their house because it's on fire. And the neighbour says, oh, what about my house? My house matters as well. But no, your house isn't on fire. You know, your house isn't on fire. And, you know, I've seen another thing where people are saying, oh, in America, um, you know, white people are killed by police. No more white people are killed. But there's more white people in America than black people. So when you break the percentages down, it's, it's alarming. It's absolutely alarming. Um, so, you know, as I said, people like that, I think they just need to go and educate themselves or just need to probably just think before they, they talk about it. Have a five minutes to yourself and think about what you're actually saying. Think about what you're actually going to type. I'm not saying my life's more valuable than yours, but I'm saying my life isn't less valuable than yours. I just want my life to be valued the same that yours is. Um, and, that, and that's all that people are asking for. It's funny that because I posted something yesterday on my Instagram about that. Um, I'll read the picture to you now because I think it's an excellent way of, of looking at it. It's um, in 2017 when the Manchester Arena was bombed, lots of people changed their profile picture to the worker bee and said Manchester strong. Nobody said all city strong. When the shootings at the Bataclan in Paris happened in 2015, people said, I stand with Paris. Nobody said, well, what about the people who were shot in my city? Have you ever seen anyone counter a breast cancer post with what about colon cancer? But for some reason, if someone says black lives matter, it turns to an inclusive, an all-inclusive all lives matter. It's not an either or proclamation where there is a crisis we have always rallied around that particular group. It doesn't discredit or diminish any other group. It just brings awareness and support to the group that needs attention. And I thought that that sums it up perfectly. Okay, that's all the questions I've got. Is there anything else you'd like to add before we finish? I think there's changes, changes coming, whether we, whether people like it or whether they don't. You know, uh, but I think if you're getting an equal opportunity for anything, you know, we're all equal. We're all equal. We should be all equal. We should be all treated the same. You know, no one deserves to be treated more privileged than anybody else. You know, we all, we're all bought. We all bought. We're all, we all live. We all die. You know, so we're all, we're all the same. I was saying my friend a long time ago, is the media, you know? So where the media will portray black men? Is the way the media will portray Africa? People will always think that black men, uh, white men are superior than black men, you know? When you go and you watch on TV and all you see is, is, is black people with, I don't know, flies in their mouth or in their eyes and everything, and you think then, oh, that's Africa. First thing to know that Africa is a continent. <laughs> There's 50 countries. Africa is rich. It's probably richer than Europe. But because they stole their money, they stole everything, their natural resources, that's why you're here comfortable. But friend, Africa is beautiful. It's actually beautiful. It's, it's amazing. But 
would they show this, this part of Africa? Never. And that's why then people think then Africa is a, sorry, shithole. And then they will think then here, you run away from there. No, we run because the opportunities and all the, the natural resources and you've got, you take it from, there, from us. And then we've got nothing there. We've got nothing to, to grow or to let us to grow because all the things that we've got, the, an example, Avicos is a, is a, it was the first exportator of cacao, cacao, coffee and all those things or with a, I think Brazil or Bolivia, stuff like that. But if you buy cacao in every coast, it will be maybe five pounds. But here it will be two pounds. How is it possible when we are the one making cacao? Do you understand? Yeah. So the way the, the media will portray Africa could change the way people think. If you show the good things in Africa, the actually how it's beautiful. Because, and it's not only animals, that's the problem also. Like the big building and the cars and, and the the, the, um, the shops and the, the shopping mall and all those things, people will start to realize, oh, so Africa is not uh, what we see. If anyone's listening who, who is struggling with stuff like this or feel that they want to speak out but can't, I'd strongly, strongly advise you to speak out, make mistakes, talk to people, help people and, and just to educate yourself and, and learn as much as possible and try and help other people learn because it's a fight that we need everyone involved in and it's going to take a, a lot longer than my lifetime to really eradicate it, but it doesn't mean we shouldn't be fighting right now. Okay, there's one other snippet from the interviews that I'd like to finish this podcast on, but before then, I'd like to give just a massive thank you to Sean, Kevin, Marvin and Christian for taking the time out to speak to me. And I'm sure you'll agree, if you've enjoyed this podcast, uh, that it's, it's certainly been them that it's, it's made you enjoy it by making a lot of great points about the problem of racism in football and wider society and also you know, telling some harrowing tales at the same time as well. So what I'm going to finish up on is uh, something that Marvin said that I, I couldn't quite fit it into anything else, but I thought it was maybe a, a good point to end on. He basically he, he talks, he reveals the fact that the first uh, fan that abused him in Scotland on Twitter, uh, after hearing the further abuse he got, the the one that was recorded, got in touch with him to apologise and to say that he, that he was wrong. And I, I thought that uh, over. Coming into this and even over the piece as well, I'm probably more in the Christian Nadi camp of being a bit sceptical about this whole thing. I am certainly heartened by the fact that this movement seems to have a bit more momentum than previous ones as we're still talking about it now because that was something that I, I did fear when I first wanted to do this podcast. It was a, it was a good few weeks ago and it's taken me this long to get it, get it all kind of put together. I wondered whether the, the topic would have moved on by then. Thankfully, that has not been the case. I would have certainly put it out anyway because I would have wanted people to come back to the subject but it's great that it's still being talked about as much as it is on a daily basis um, even in spite of, of what else is going on in the world but the reason I wanted to finish on this is because somebody who was you know completely ostracised on Twitter deservedly so for for being a horrible racist towards Marvin Bartley realised that he had done wrong and reached out to Marvin and said he was sorry and wanted to be a better person and Marvin forgave him and I think that is what we kind of need to achieve as a society people need to admit when they're wrong and need to stop just being stuck in whatever opinion they have of the past and and to to try and become better people we all should strive to become better people and there's nothing wrong with admitting that you're wrong sometimes and that you were you made mistakes in the past that's how we grow and I just don't think there's enough of that in today's world and for the fact as well for Marvin to forgive him as well I think is is something else that needs to be happening there are obviously people who are beyond forgiveness but if we could kind of come together of all races and, and try and beat this uh, you know racism the, the pandemic the global pandemic itself of racism then that does give me a little bit of hope so thank you very much for listening and before we finish once again here's Marvin Bartley I forgot actually the one who did it on Twitter actually sent me a, a, a tweet apologizing after hearing the guy record me and saying what he said and said, you know what, when you type something down, you don't think about it. When you hear somebody say it, it sounds so much worse. And I can only apologize. And you know, what? fair play to him. And people say, why are you saying fair play to him? He's a fair play to him. He, he took time out of his day to tweet me and say that. And you know, hopefully he's learned that you know, writing these things is so wrong.
and hopefully he's learned his lessons. So, you know, in terms of that, I, I, I'm, I'm a person who forgives and forgets. Um, but yeah, it's just, yeah, it's, it's wild. <laughs> Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.